Welcome to Fighting Over the VCR. My name is Matthew. My name's Nancy. And uh, this week we have decided to uh, do uh, one of our special episodes with a special guest that is not Podcat Mulder, <laughs> although he is present. We've decided to bring back, um, you might have remember her from our baseball episode, but a friend of the podcast and, and listener Sherry is here. Hi! She has picked two movies to talk about that are near and dear to her heart. Nancy and I also really like these movies, so this is, should be a nice, lively discussion. In the second half of our episode, we are going to talk about a great movie called Almost Famous. And first, we're going to talk about another movie that happens to have music as a central theme, but in a little bit of a different way, High Fidelity. So, Nancy, why don't you give us a little bit of a roundup of uh, what High Fidelity is about? So, High Fidelity is a movie about John Cusack as Rob Gordon. He owns a music store, and he's got two guys working for him. He's recently been dumped by his girlfriend, Laura, and it sends him on a tailspin, and he wants to kind of dredge up his past and figure out why has he been broken up with um, and kind of reach out to the top five women, you know, top five all time breakups. Yeah. Top five. <laughs> he wants to revisit all these and try to figure out what did he do? What did she do? Is there a pattern? Why does this keep happening? And lots of hijinks ensue. <laughs> and, I, and one of the things that you know, he's doing this, you know, not just to find out what's wrong about himself, but it's also trying to figure out, like, how much... He's always... Throughout the entire movie, he's kind of rehashing things about his relationship with Laura mm -hmm. because she keeps reappearing. Like, she, she moved out at the beginning of the movie, and then she keeps coming back to, like, get stuff from his apartment. So he's constantly, like, being reminded of her. I think he's even wondering, like, is this relationship completely over throughout the entire movie? Mm -hmm. And he's trying to kind of figure all that out, you know, whether he's the problem or not. <laughs> he is. He is totally the problem. Textbook narcissist. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the movie, you kind of find out things that, you know, he did that really kind of screwed things up. Yeah. And this movie's filmed in a kind of confessional style where he's he's breaking the fourth wall through the entire movie. He's talking directly to the camera. It's almost like he's kind of like inside of a therapy office, sort of. You know, he's just talking to the camera, trying to suss all this out. And he talks a lot. I mean, there is a lot of John Cusack yeah. chatter in this movie. Which apparently he didn't want to do. He didn't want to break the fourth wall, and uh, the director convinced him to do it. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, so this, um, this movie is based on a book by Nick Hornsby um, that came out in 1995. And um, that book takes place in London. And but the same general principle. They, all they did really was move the movie, uh, the setting to Chicago. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the characters, it's the same kind of thing. The two guys that work in the store are uh, played by uh, Jack Black, who, um, when John Cusack was putting the movie together, actually kind of wrote that his the script with him in mind which John co-produced the movie as well right he wrote the screenplay yeah, yeah, he helped get the production yeah. made he really he, he very invested very mm -hmm. invested in getting mm -hmm. this movie made 
and the other coworker is played by uh, Ta Lucio, who um, or Luiso, something Lucio? like that. Luiso, who I I've seen him in other things, but I never. Like, yeah. I'm always like, oh, that's the guy from High Fidelity, but I don't <laughs> really know his name or anything who like once that. Once in a while, back in the day, now I've got them, I understand who each one of them is, but is it Gerardo Ribisi? How do you say his name? I Giovanni. Click, Giovanni Ribisi. Yeah, I used to, for some reason, I used to mix him up a long time ago, but oh. yeah. Maybe, right. maybe it's the last name. <laughs> I don't know what it is. But um, he plays Dick, the other guy who works in the record store and there's there's something very interesting about Jack Black's character um, which is um, his name is Barry. Barry that he's a complete asshole <laughs> well okay so let's just get this let's just get this part of the conversation out of it out of the way one thing that's very distinct about Barry Dick and Rob is they're very elitist about their music which yeah. I can identify with you're not as pretentious as they no, are. No, I'm about not, music, but though. I but that's what part of it that or I find so endearing. You're not pretentious about your music at all. <laughs> yeah. And and I I'd you say guys. that well, oh. I'd say that Dick is less elitist about it. It's just because his personality sure. is very soft-spoken and kind of shy. Yes. Whereas Barry is very elitist about his music. <laughs> he yelled at a poor dad that just wanted to come in and buy an album for his daughter. Uh, what, what, is she in a coma? Yeah. <laughs> they didn't even have it anyway. He seemed more funny to me watching this back in 2000 than he does now. Yeah, it's not funny to me anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I think that... I think that There's always that kind of character, though, I think, in, in a record store, and that's the way you have to have... But in music, music professional appreciators, as yeah, they like to say. Well, I think that, like I've mentioned this in other episodes, where, especially our music episode, um, where we talked about music from mo- some mm-hmm. of the movies we picked. That if I were to do a music podcast, I'd probably be way more critical and way more elitist than I actually sound in my movie podcast, which is probably going to make people like really surprised. But. Um, it's okay to sound elitist if you're doing something like that versus trying to be provide some customer service. True. I mean, this guy True. is so rude to people. You don't even deserve to own that record is I mean, the attitude he so has. One of, my, one of my favorite lines is like when when um, Rob's like, how can it be bullshit to have a preference? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, well, and then, and then later, John Cusack makes the comment, uh, Rob makes the comment, something like, it's more important what you what you like than what you are like, and that's why they hone. They really, right? They really perfect like this taste uh-huh. of theirs. Like they want to have this perfect taste or whatever because what they like is so much more important than what they are actually like as people. Uh, well, yeah. uh, he says uh, movies, books, music. These things matter. Call me sh- call me shallow, but these things matter. And I, I a part of me definitely. I, I, sure. I think what it understands <laughs> what he means. Well, in a way, it's really. I think that he's making a very valid point. I don't agree with it 100% sure. that what people like is totally their personality. But when you're talking about relationships, having things in common is very important, of I course. think. And if you don't like similar things, or you can't, how can you even have a conversation? Now, yes. it's one thing, like, if you have two people that really like music, but maybe they don't like the same music... 
at least they might have an appreciation for the fact that that person might really like music and it might not be the music that they like. The passions are equal. The, it's just they don't have the same exact taste. But if you're constantly arguing, yeah, it's not bad that's, that's not good <laughs> either because that argument might just be a sign of arguments that you might have later. Yeah. I kind of understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, he's full of shit. Well, and he also at one point turns off Bill and Sebastian to put on Walking on Sunshine, so... Barry does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I'm sure we can all appreciate that song at some time or another, but it I love that that scene is just so great. Like when he's in there and he's like, I made this for a Monday morning mix and he's like, It's a Monday afternoon, why don't you get up earlier? <laughs> get I thought it would be a conversation starter. <laughs> Come on. Well and I think that and, and to and Barry is that kind of guy who po- like pushes buttons one to show his superiority yeah. because he's so insecure, but also because he knows, like, he wants to show some sort of authoritarianism. So yeah. he'll push the buttons of the entire store yeah. just to do that. But there are a couple scenes where he has this very, like, rude superiority complex, oh, yeah. but is actually helping a customer and is like, how do you not have that album? Oh, here, take it. Don't tell anyone you don't own Blonde on Blonde. Yeah, yeah. it'll be okay. You're going to be okay. Like, yeah. And and that kind of, that's very, I get it. I understand why you just totally dislike him now versus yeah. when you first saw the movie. So as he's going through this journey of, you know, reliving his top five breakups of all time... There's a couple of characters that he that you meet that have some real significance in the fact that one of his exes is Catherine Zeta Jones, mm-hmm. which is was really surprising to me when the first time I saw this movie. I was like, "Holy crap, she's in this movie!" and mm-hmm. um, and she's terrible. I'm not oh yeah, she's a monster. It's she, excellent. <laughs> the fact that. He's not with her. He's so much better off. And well, if he were sunnier or sparkier, maybe they would have still been together. Oh God! And, At least she didn't lie to him. I mean, she yeah. told him she why. She was told him why. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we we get a uh, he gets to revisit uh, an old friend from Say Anything and Lily Ty- mm-hmm. uh, Taylor, mm-hmm. who plays a woman that he meets after he the breakup with Catherine Zeta Jones. And they basically get together because they both have been broken up with and are wallowing in their own mm-hmm. misery together. You got those two actors. And then um, the other... I love the first breakup that he says is... Allison. Al- Allison... Uh, what was her last name? He, he repeats it a lot, but... Allison, who was his girlfriend in the seventh grade for six hours... Yeah. <laughs> Spread over three days. Spread over three days, right before watching, uh, they, where they make out for two hours, and then um, they would he would go home to watch whatever television show it was. Rockford Files. Rockford Files? Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and then he went to go meet her on the fourth day, and she was making out with Kevin Bannister. Who became the love of her life. Yes. And... <laughs> I love that scene when he goes and, like, he's trying to find her, and he calls her mom, and she's just like, what did you say? No, no, no. Her first boyfriend was Kevin Bannister, her first and only boyfriend, and they are now married. And And live in Australia. And Uh and he's just like, well, technically, 
I was her first boyfriend. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know what you mean by technically. <laughs> so good. But um, well, then when he hangs up, and then he just yells, he's like, Allison married Kevin. <laughs> I should have done he, this years ago. He felt so much better about himself. <laughs> And then the, the the second all-time breakup, which is actually a really messed up story. Yeah. Um, not like any of these aren't messed up, but the really messed up story is he basically is dating this girl in high school, who and he breaks up, and it, as she retells the story, she breaks up with... She actually broke up with him because... He wouldn't. She wouldn't go all the way with him, and then he, he like really messed her up. Like she ended up having sex with a guy she didn't even want to. She hated it for into until college and for you know for years, and it, it really kind of messed her up. And all he cares about is he realized, oh my god, no, I broke up with her. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and and it's that, another one I have to work. And at that point, you just realize how self-centered this guy is yeah i mean it, it was just it's like yeah you why are you getting dumped all the time i, I can i can tell you why so i hadn't watched this movie in easily 15 years maybe even longer and realized today this is basically like if lane meyer was older and was dealing with a breakup because we've now watched john cusack be broken up with six times between Say Anything, Better Off Dead, and technically three <laughs> times in this movie. And I guess that's five Joe. times total. But, man, he, it, it is interesting watching watching Rob Gordon deal with his breakups and comparing them to Lane Meyer and uh, Lloyd <clears throat> Dobler. Well, very different extremes. You have I Want to Commit Suicide to <laughs> I'm Just Going to Cry and Kickbox to... What you know? What is wrong with me? But I'm gonna go figure out what's wrong with me, and because I'm a self-centered asshole. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he does. He knows he is it can be a dick or is a dick. Like he knows. He knows. Like it's not. He just. He's not he oblivious. Wor- he's not. He's not. He you know. And he also is can be very like you know caring you know person. And I think he does. Can he's he? very. He's romantic. Is he? Yeah, I think so. But well, obviously that's his journey towards the end. He more is, but kind of I think realizes it. But yeah, I know he's he's a real he's a piece of work. That's for sure. Yeah, he's he's romanticized women so much that he is just never satisfied. That that is you an know excellent summary of basically about, his relationships. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't always think about you know women doing the same like thing to him and how that would if he flipped you know the script and did that and what what that would be. Yeah. Like, I think maybe later he rises, realizes it, and that's the whole point, but, yeah. I kind of have a problem with Laura. What's your problem with Laura? Aside, from, I don't aside really... from her baby bangs and her short little bangs <laughs> that are really annoying. But, but the I, way she I don't rubs think, her feet an equal amount of times just kills I me. Don't like, I don't think they had any chemistry, and I couldn't root for them to be together at all. And I don't think I felt that the first time I watched this movie, but watching it now... Mm-mm. I don't like him. I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of felt like they had stuff in common because she liked it. He, he DJed. She liked his music. They had music in common. But to some point, I agree with you. Like, she lost her apartment, and that's how they started living together. And was it all just kind of happenstance? Who knows? Uh, but she really she really kind of 
rooted for him and the whole reason why she left him was she never she didn't see a future with him because he didn't have any aspiration anymore mm. even till and she he was not look he wasn't looking it was like i'm in a relationship i have my record store and that was and he it was like he was done with life mm-hmm. and she didn't like he never they never talked about being married like he even says at one point to his mom after he has to reveal that they got that they broke up that oh Laura never wanted to get married and and she's not that type of girl. She's not that type of girl. Yeah, he's it's like, just so convinced that she doesn't ever want to get married and yeah. And his mom, I forget what his mom says to him, but then he's like, "Shut up, mom! It's some cold shit." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great that whole scene. I mean, I know. this this is I I really like so much of this movie that yes. it's hard to like pick it's a scene really or great. anything. And it's hard. I think what's also hard is I feel the same a lot about Laura too. I mean, I can, I can understand cause I, what I, what's not said and which again in the book, I think <clears throat> is more with her, but you start the movie with them, like her leaving, right. And breaking up and like sleeping with this other guy. So it's, it makes it more, I think harder to like, kind of get like, what's going on with these two, you know, but, but I don't think, I don't know. I don't know if she was the best pick for the the actress to play that part but you know i've always just lived with it and for you know whatever even though i just it's one of my favorite movies but yeah i can i can see what you mean and like if they were to redo it i'd rather see at the time like someone like amy adams or someone who just has a general just a just a more likable quality i just don't think she was very warm she wasn't warm at all and i don't know yeah. Well, his mom. He said his mom is some cold shit. So maybe he's just used to that. When people be more maybe. Cold. I mean, maybe. And and maybe it's just kind of like part of a pattern of types of women that he's always attracted to. But mm. you know, you you would think that there would be something different about her that would stand out like significantly compared to everybody else. And you know, you've got someone who he was with because she was cool, and he liked that she was cool. You have someone that he was with because she was to basically commiserate with, and then yeah, and then the the girl in high school that he who actually really liked him and, yeah. and w- w- you know who might have actually been if he didn't you know mess her up in the head could have been the person that he would end up with mm. and go to London with and then eventually get broken up with <laughs> boxing oh. <laughs> and and the girl with that and the six hour girl and we and and the one that was in and Laura ended up being in the top five you know at some point and you know there was things that he you know he goes on this whole like another top five list of top five things I miss about Laura and some of those things you're just kind of like it's it you don't really see it like you have oh. to just yeah it's a, that's part of it though is part of it is the ima- you know imagining like how I, he feels you i know? mean you have to remember mm-hmm. too like i can understand the idea of not understanding why he's with laura but the movie wasn't really about laura so we're all, and he's talking to the camera so all of this is one-sided. Yeah. So you really have to kind of take with a grain of salt, like, there are things about Laura that he must really like. Sure. I just don't think it was cast well. I think a different actress would have been more interesting. Possibly. I mean, I think that it's really hard. Like, they wanted to get... They got someone like Catherine Zeta-Jones to play, like, this unattainable, bitchy kind of person that, you know, he... It was like the fantasy person. Mm-hmm. 
just because she was cool, he was with her, but they really had nothing in common. I think Dick was my favorite character. Dick is... I, I have that written down, too. My favorite character is Dick. Yeah. He's Who's your favorite character in the movie? Tim Robbins. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Ian. Oh, uh, Ian, Ray. Ray. <laughs> Ian Ray. Ian It's probably... I, I do like Dick a lot. Um, as... I mean, it's just so hard not to, to not love John Cusack, even though he's being such a, you know, he's such a narcissist. He's flawed. We've talked about this before, too, where, and, and I always bring this up, where it's hard to not make, like, the main character your favorite character, because that's what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It's like, he's flawed, obviously. Yeah, I mean, otherwise the movie would be super boring, right? Like, right. It was, right. That's the whole point is... Him and so Rob's your favorite character? Him and Dick. Like I, I love Dick too. So that was that was yeah. None of us voted for Barry. I, I do find Barry very funny. Um but I know people <laughs> like Barry. And so but I wouldn't say he's my favorite character, <laughs> but I do find him but he also can he's, he's super annoying for sure, but he also makes it makes me laugh still a lot. I mean um, I think Barry's an important character. Of I course. think it's nice, it's good to have Someone with these very, very extreme kind of rules <laughs> about like music taste and right. preferences, and I, I guess it makes sense in this yeah. kind of world to have that character. But yeah, he's an exhausting character. He is. I mean, but when he has, he's lines, mean, right? He he's is so I know. mean. I know when he says things like, "Well, he offended me with this terrible taste." Like when that dad comes in, <laughs> just just makes me laugh. Well, but you know what, though, there's other scenes where you kind of see, like, there's a, after, um, at one point in the movie, Laura's dad dies, and she tell she calls Rob at the store to tell yeah. him, so, because Rob knew him and everything, and, um, after they kind of, you know, he tells Dick and Barry, and Barry kind of has this re- response, like, oh, drag, that's yeah. terrible, and then later, it's like, hey, guys, top five uh, songs about death, Laura's dad's tribute, you know, play, you know, list or something like that, and they all five of them are picking songs that about death that they want on their list, and and they treat it kind of like a competition. Like, damn, I wish I would have put that on my <laughs> list, but I mean, he does that in a to spark conversation within the store, but he shows a little bit of sensitivity. Sure, there. let's talk about a couple of the other characters first. We have to mention Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm pops up in this film as Liz, who, the first time I watched this movie, I, you know, and for years I always thought it was um, Rob's sister. But now, the last time, couple times I've watched it, I'm like, wait a minute, is she just a friend that's, like, also a friend of Laura's? Yeah. Yeah. So... I guess that's the situation there. And she's she's great in -hmm. in it. Um, Kind of plays, you know, show plays the friend of both of them and and uh well, and there's a great scene where she puts rob in his place yeah which is amazing at the funeral right yeah well how much fun or or when she like goes to visit him and how much fun does joan cusack have yelling hey rob you fucking asshole at her brother <laughs> and then just walks out of right the store. like how much how much did she love that scene like it was probably not hard for her to <laughs> to drum up some sort of anger to yell at him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she had to go, you know, she had to like calm down, go deep into her and, <laughs> and into her conscious of, of past 
times with John. Remember the time that John forced her to watch Lost Highway? Oh, man. <laughs> that was cold. That was cold. You're going to call me a fucking asshole over there? <laughs> Next month, Nancy. I didn't say anything. Podcast over. <laughs> there are other parties that do question Matt having Nancy watch that as her first David Lynch film. But... Yeah. <laughs> but uh, She's great in the movie. <laughs> so let's talk she about Tim awesome. Robbins. Let's talk about Tim <laughs> oh, Robbins. God. So Tim Robbins plays... Ultra weird hippie man. Former neighbor... Cooking of, smells. ...of Rob and Laura, who, when they break when they break up, he has moved out, or, or Tim Robbins' character, whose name is either Ray or Ian... It's actually uh, Ian I. Raymond, Raymond. <laughs> Ray to his friends. And uh, he has moved out, and you find out later that she moved in with him, and this becomes a whole thing. And Tim Robbins has, like, this fake long hair. A and, Steven Seagal ponytail. Yeah, Steven Seagal <laughs> ponytail. And there's, like, pictures of him, like, doing martial arts moves. And yeah, it's so walks, ridiculous. And, he, and he's just very kind of cartoonish in the character that he's playing. Those of you who don't know much about Tim Robbins, he was in Bull Durham, which we had talked about before. He's been in Shawshank Redemption. He's been in Howard the Duck. He's been in tons of different movies. Uh, The Player, Bob Roberts. I mean, I can name a bunch of them. But uh, seeing him in this role is so weird. (laughs) It's so different. It's so strange. It's so strange. And uh, which brings me to my favorite scene in the movie. Um, Rob has. Oh, you're going to have the same favorite scene as me. Rob has been harassing Laura and calling Ray's house or Ian's house or whatever you were going to call him. Dickhead's house. Uh, <laughs> calling the house and kind of harassing Laura about, you know, why are we, you know, trying to get her back. Ray decides to visit Rob at his store to try and get him to back off which then leads to this wonderful kind of fantasy scene again fantasies like in better off dead or something like that that rob is having in his head where um at first he tells him off which then turns into him like verbally assaulting him in the next one to then physically assaulting them, which starts with quiet, soft-spoken dick (laughs) grabbing a telephone and punching him, knocking out his teeth. (laughs) Then they tackle him and start beating him, and then dick grabs an air conditioner and then... Crushes him. Crushes him, which... You don't actually see. There's no actual physical blood or anything. You do see the teeth flying when he punches him. Um, Chicklets. But this is all, like, in Rob's head, and then Ian goes away, and, like, whatever. So um, that whole kind of fantasy scenario scene is probably my favorite scene. You love those. Is that your scene? Actually, no. Mine is the one where um, Rob is, like, obsessing over them. Of over Ian and Laura having sex. Oh yeah, and he's, and he's getting upset. And then you, he's at this at one point, yeah, he gets. A, and then at that one point, he just gets so irritated that he's like just writhing all crazy in his bed with the like it is it just 
Oh, it kills, like cracks me up so. It cracks me up so. <laughs> that is a great scene. Yeah. Other than that, scene's great though too. I mean, there's so many. I mean, this is this was these movies were were on my Facebook list. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think my favorite scene is the whole the whole sequence that begins with him reconnecting with Catherine Zeta Jones and yeah. then ending with him walking out of her apartment. Because she was such this fantasy woman for him. She really was this, in his mind, this highest standard of woman he ever... Like, she was the most out of his league that he probably ever felt. Right. And that she left him for Marco. And I felt like... I think the whole sequence of him reconnecting with her, going to the dinner party, and then them talking and her, him real, her realizing... Oh, no, you really are doing one of those <laughs> what is my life all about thing. And then her telling him... In this very shallow, cutting way, the Marco was more glamorous. He was sunnier. He was sparkier. All these things. And then him finally realizing, oh, my God, like, this woman is a monster. We clearly just weren't made for each other. And then he leaves. I guess maybe because even though she's such a shallow character, I probably liked her more she's than really honest. other yeah. people in this movie. And that moment really stands out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, her her sequence in the movie. So, Sherry, tell us <laughs> why. <laughs> what makes this movie so important to you? Like, did you like? When did you see it? And what what makes it something that you know that you enjoy watching so much? I saw it in the theater, um, and at the time, which really could still be argued I really thought this was a movie where music was such at the forefront of the movie and so many bands that you just never see mentioned in the mainstream really at all and um, having characters that are just you know equally obsessed with things I mean even more so than I you know um, were and even though I love movies like Empire Records or things like that, this movie has a more serious tone to it. I think instead of just like joking around, uh, and I think that some of the most fun times I had as a teenager were like looking for records and going to record stores and doing all that stuff. So um, it just meant a lot. It was just a really fun, you know, way to watch it on screen and and uh, feel like you know hey, these people are, like, it's a part of... You could you relate know. to them mm-hmm. in and, some way. Yeah, and it's, it's also, I mean, it's a comedy. It's it's also got a lot of romance in it. You know, it's a love story, too, which is fun. Um, but I also think, I've always thought how cool it would be to work in a record store. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and he owns a record store, which is, I think is so cool. So, mm-hmm. um, and I, al- I also like in the beginning when he's talking about <clears throat> how, when he, he's opening up the store and he's talking about how you know, it's mostly guys that come up, come in here um, looking for Smith singles or whatever it is that he says. Mm-hmm. But it's true. I mean, if you go to a record store, which I was just in one just a few weeks ago, I mean, it's usually mostly men are in there. You know, it's more of a like a dude thing, I think, to do. More and more, I mean, more women you, were going in to record stores, I think, too. But every time you're in there, especially vinyl, you know, collectors. Um, so I think that was an interesting comment that he makes in the movie too. That's really, you know, it's really interesting and it's cool that you bring this up is you can't really make this movie 
in the same way you could like nowadays because record stores like are hard well, to find. And that was my other point. I mean, it's just that that isn't because of the internet and everything. I think it just is, you know, it's not that you can't go shopping for collectible, you know, vinyl anymore, but you know, it used to be, you spent so much time like looking for things, you know, that you trying to find for sometimes years, you know, mm-hmm. and it just, now, now it's different it's, now. And yeah, now it's so easily yeah. attainable. You can go online and, go into a chat room and be like, hey, does anyone have an MP3 of this? I've, I've never right, heard it. And right. they can just email it to you. Yeah. And that's why vinyl is just so, is nowadays is fun, you know, again, and has gotten, it, the sales have skyrocketed because it's like people can actually still collect something, you know, and even more, I think that people have gotten more into it and audiophiles especially, of course. One thing I really like about this movie in terms of kind of the nostalgia for how it's capturing something that was very unique that was really kind of dying off once like Napster came out and, and you know downloading MP3s really started music, in yeah. in around 2000 right. mm-hmm. the art of the mixtape right oh, you yeah. know who totally. everyone at this table has made probably hundreds of mixtapes right yeah mm-hmm. and i feel like there's you know he has a fun yeah. discussion over how you do it. and and not even just the mixtape part when dick comes over and sees his thousands of records that were all in the middle of being organized and how excited he was like, Ooh, are you going to do it chronologically? You're going to do it alphabetically. He's yeah. like, no, I'm going to do it autobiographically. And that just part is I, so great. And just as a, you know, a music fan, it's just yeah. like so great. He's like, no, if I want to find that record, I have to remember <laughs> where I was when I bought it. Yeah. Or when I, you know, what was going on in my life. And oh, that's just crazy. Or the, when he's, it's, I think it's, is it lands the landslide? like 12 inch or is it rumors I forget but he's like I have to remember that in 83 I bought this to give it to somebody but didn't for personal reasons and that's why I still have it it's just there's not a whole lot more I personally wanted to add but Sherry you had you know there's a lot of different things that I want this is your chance to to really kind of let everyone know why (laughs) this movie needs to be seen by the world well I do also, there's there's funny things that I noticed watching it this time, because I don't know if I've ever watched it with the captions on, but in the beginning, I think, I think it's the animals playing or something, and it, under it, it says heavy metal music, like in the captions, and then later when Stiff Little Fingers is playing, it says grunge music, and I'm like, what? Yeah. And it's just funny. Things like that are just so funny to me, but who, it's like, who wrote these captions and who? Labels. Um... You know, I do I do find Laura and Rob's relationship interesting, and I think in the end, like, they finally, you know, get it figured out. But, um, you know, even though he keeps disappointing her, you know, she can't stop loving them, even though he drives her nuts, and she knows that he loves her, and, and uh, he's just an idiot. But uh, lucky for him, she keeps giving him chances to finally show deep down that he cannot be a total asshole and start liking himself and and appreciating her so we can stop projecting, I think, how he, onto her about how he feels about himself. Well, I think that that, like, you just reminded me, too, like, there's a great, like, the whole movie, he's always, like, doing, like, these top five lists, and, mm-hmm. and, um, he comes home, and she's getting, like, the last of her stuff, and she finds, like, this list that he wrote, like, top five, um... Dream jobs. Dream jobs, and um, he starts, she, he she starts reading them off, and he's just like, you know, that's personal. What are you doing? And she starts reading them off, and and you really kind of start learning like more from of a different side of Rob. Like the last one on the on the list is 
um, architect, and he's got seven years training of being an architect, just chose not to do that. Oh, my God. Jack just asked me today if I thought Rob had a Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother kind of quality. And he was and an architect. And now that there's this architect <laughs> connection, yes, that's it. But one, th- but so so she reads off the list, and you know he's not doing any of those things. And even though like the architect one is on there, he's almost like I don't even know if I want to be an architect. <laughs> She's like, I noticed you didn't put vinyl record store owner on your list. Like, are you not living your dream? And I think that, that is another sign of how she was like, she saw something in him, and he that he didn't see in himself. Yes. And he never realized how much she actually cared about his well-being and his future because he was so self-absorbed with, I don't want to fuck up my relationship, that he wasn't even thinking about himself in that yeah. sense. And she calls him on his shit. I mean, even though I think that's a thing that he loves and doesn't like about her. But I mean, you know, I think he, in the end, he realizes he really appreciates that. But... I mean, like, she asked him, at the, even towards the end, she's like, who's the tape for? Like, she knows how he is. Like, she's just laughing, and he's like, uh, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> so. Well, that's his smooth. Right. Yeah, his mm-hmm. move is to, like, make a tape for somebody. To... Wasn't that everybody's move for a long time? <laughs> like, especially big music nerds? Yeah, I mean, for, yeah, for people that are obsessed with music, of course. I mean, now people would just make a playlist on Apple Music and then, like, I am, and then text it to someone. I'm going to instant message you the special playlist that I made. I don't know. I haven't dated in a long time, so I wouldn't know what I'm, people are I'm doing. just assuming that's what people would be able to do now. <clears throat> hey, I made, hey, I made this mixtape for you. Here's a flash drive. Exactly. God, I hope it's not that bad. I think when watching this movie the first time, the scene where he fantasizes about the top five songs for his funeral, like, I think I felt like, okay, I'm not like a total weirdo. Because this person, like, does that sometimes. Like, you know, I've thought of things like that. And that's what I love about this movie is, like, just the quirky, like, song list that, he, that they make. I mean, it's just, you know. Speaking of song lists, when we decided to add this movie to... Um, well, actually, we decided to make the add this movie. And then when we, in the middle of doing the rewatch, um, I had this idea to do a little game where we were going to... Pick five songs. It doesn't even have to be the top five, but just five songs that we would want to appear in a biopic about ourselves. So it's five songs that we like. And granted, okay, you all have to understand that the three of us love music. And this was probably could have been extremely difficult for us if it was like the top five songs. So like me personally, I just picked five songs, five songs I like. That I would definitely want to be in my biopic. I thought about this for 10 minutes. I went on a walk. I thought about it for 10 minutes. And I was like, yep, these five would be fine. <laughs> these aren't necessarily my favorite songs of all time, but these five should appear in my, my as the soundtrack of my life. Oh, Mulder, what song would you want? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to assume that the two of you may have similarities. So does one of you want to start and then I'll go in the middle? Sherry, you're our guest. Why don't you go first? Yes. So was this, this thing was this really difficult for you? Things like this are very hard for me. Five. So I have to just kind of let it go and just so I thought I'll do something fun with it because that made it easier. Besides the fact that it was already starting to shape up this way. So 
as in movies, how a lot of them uh, are set in Britain and they adapt them for the U.S., much like the High Fidelity book, I decided that my life movie would be adapted and be British. Nice. Nice. Because um, I just have always loved British bands very, very much. They're very near and dear to my heart, especially uh, bands 70s and 80s, although I am a huge Beatles fan and Stones and stuff like that, but that, that was a very so, Rob Gordon thing. For yeah. You to do. <laughs> <laughs> At first, I thought I'll just do movies from 1970. I mean, songs from 1979, but that that was just it was too focused. So, wow. um, I uh, my first one that I picked uh, is "Last Night I Dreamt That Somebody Loved Me" by The Smiths. Okay. Off of Strange Ways. Uh, my second is Shake the Disease by Depeche Mode. Nice. Uh, my third, and these aren't in any particular order and not in chronological order either, is Lost in the Supermarket by The Clash, which is 1979. Would you be like, would that be in like a scene when you're like in at, the, Target. At, at the mall or in Target? Oh, yes. Outside of Villachie's and Fremont when I, yeah. Okay. Yep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Couldn't find my mom. Oh yeah. yeah, getting lost. That's like a. I mean, that's like a childhood trauma, or it could be turned in another way. Nancy has a great I, getting, <laughs> lost, getting lost at J C Penney story. We'll say that for another day. I I've always loved that song very much, and it has one of my most favorite lines in, in lyrics in a song, which is "I wasn't born as much as I fell out." I just I, don't know, I just always <laughs> love that line. Got to put some Oasis in there. Acquiesce, which which is an awesome song. Check it out. It was a. Uh, a B-side, I believe. So. I've never heard of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, I had a hard time, I know I'm supposed to have five, but I had a hard time deciding between Pink Floyd, Comfortably Numb, and Bitch by the Rolling Stones off of Sticky Fingers, so I'm going with Bitch. <laughs> you know, you, you offered six, I, so I'll offer six, too. Okay. I'll, I'll show some sisterly so yeah, that's my solidarity British, Those here. are my British life songs. Very nice. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate how seriously you took that, because this was something <laughs> that I didn't, I wasn't really taking very seriously, And yeah. um, but I know how much you love music. I mean... When I came up with the idea, I immediately was like, oh, I could figure out Sherry's songs. And um, they were not. I was totally wrong. <laughs> well, you know, Unknown Pleasures is 79, too, but I just, it's okay. I, I did my five and a half. I did my five. I just mentioned other ones. <laughs> awesome. Right, yeah. Thank you. That was great. I'll give you mine. I wanted to particularly just focus on artists that I really like. So I was like, oh, I want to have one of their songs mm-hmm. in my list. So sure. Um, the first song I picked is Somewhat Damaged by Nine Inch Nails, which is the first song off of their album, The Fragile. It has, um, this really good lead into it. And my, my movie could, my biopic could start with that. I think that would be great. Um, Midnight in a Perfect World by DJ Shadow, who is a really great kind of trip hop kind of hip hop kind of artist who, and, um, uh, does mostly inter- instrumentals. So I'm thinking like, this would just be like in the background in a scene where could, I could be eating dinner or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Teenage Riot by Sonic Youth. I love Sonic Youth. Um, and that's a great song off. I always change which album I think is my favorite, but I think Daydream Nation is probably my favorite album. So that's the, that's the first song off of that. And that could be like when I'm in high school because that would just be too obvious. Um, 
Never Tear Us Apart by NXS was my wedding song, so I guess I'll just throw that in there because that's fun. I, I, knew, did, I knew you put it on there. That's why I didn't put it on mine. Well, Mulder. <laughs> um, I could have put... I could have put the song that we were like intro to to the audience with uh, Panama, Panama by Van Halen, but <laughs> I thought I, you were gonna put that on there. And then the last song that I picked is "Nobody's Fault But My Own" by Beck. It's on his album Mutations, um, which is basically an album about loss and death. And um, I didn't want to go really kind of obvious with another Nine Inch Nails song for when I die so I picked that Beck song so that could be played like in my death scene it's not my life up to now it's my like whole life is what these songs would be in so okay you didn't pick any Nirvana I did not I pro- I could have very easily been like or Soundgarden like the grunge years could have easily been in there mm-hmm. I didn't pick any like of the any punk songs like I could have put Wild in the Streets from yeah, when I, I was in Thrashing yeah, I could have put that on there but I didn't, I, I kind of just threw out these songs. I mean, Rebel Yell, I could have put Rebel Yell on here. Yeah. But I mean, you got a little, it was five. Right a little I, bit. Definitely. It was five. Yep. And you I didn't was, want to overthink it. The, the rules, <laughs> I mean, I'm sticking to the same rules that they would live by in high fidelity. Right. That's why it was easier for me. Damn it, that it was easier for me to do that, like, theme, like, do, think of a theme thing instead of being, doing that. So. Yeah. All right, Nance. So, mine, um, in no particular order, I would have... I guess the movie would start with American Girl by Tom Petty. It's one of my favorite... Probably my favorite Tom Petty song. I've requested it at um, dueling pa- piano bars before, which has been really fun to watch people try to perform on a piano and without, like, you know, use, using guitars yeah. and stuff. Oh, yeah. Anyways, love that song so ever, much. Did you ever Amazing. get to see Tom Petty live? I did not. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know you guys did, but I did not. Um, I would have Bizarre Love Triangle by New Order. That I got to go to a club called 1015 Folsom on my 21st birthday, and I turned 21 on a like midnight Sunday morning, and we were there late enough where that song finally played, and that's probably always been one of my favorite. That, that's always been on like a mixtape for me. Spectacular song. Yeah, it's just so so great. Into the Groove by Madonna. Matt thought it would be a different Madonna song. I really thought it'd be Lucky Star. No, if I it's, I it's mean, Into the Groove. I've seen I've seen your hitch kicks. You they, have. they are of Lucky Star quality. <laughs> they, they are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. She's doing one right now. No. Um, Home by Depeche Mode. My all time favorite. Depeche Mode song that came out, I believe, on the Ultra album. Wow, not sung by Dave Gahan. It doesn't matter. It's just, I, I love that Good song so much. It's just one of the most romantic songs I've ever heard. And this one will probably surprise you, but um, Going to California by Led Zeppelin. That doesn't surprise me. It's, oh, that's a great song. It's so, and I feel like because, you know, born and raised here, it there's something nice about a song that references California would be part of my soundtrack. And since Sherry was able to talk about alternates that would have been on hers, my alternate would have been, um, in my life by the Beatles. Very nice. No, no, that's six. No, it was five. <laughs> you talked about other ones. So. Whatever, <laughs> whatever. I think, I think as punishment, you have to watch Lost Highway again. <laughs> no, I have, I have, I have, I have two other David Lynch ones. I've already been assigned. So. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad you put Zeppelin on there because that was 
I thought I wanted to put them in there too, but I just, you know. Yeah. It was. Uh, well, I think in light. Five. And in light of the second movie we were going to talk about, it's so hard not to want to talk yes. about Led Zeppelin yes. because there's at least three or four Led Zeppelin songs in our next movie. Mm-hmm. Speaking of our next movie, the second movie that we're going to talk about uh, also came out the same year as High Fidelity uh, 2000. And it's also about music, and it is called Almost Famous. And Matt Sherry and I saw this together in yes, the theater. Yes, we did. Awesome. Yes, we did. Do you remember that, Matt? No. <laughs> Sherry <laughs> and I remember. We had to sit Someone really close yes, to the I mean, theater. Remember, we had to sit really row. close to the screen yeah. because we got there. Yeah. We didn't realize how packed it was going to be, and there was something screwy with the showing. See, but I thought it was your mom that was with us. I didn't think he was with us. No, no. It, oh, I know I saw it. You were, you were it was the three okay. of us saw it together. I was wondering if it was your... If it was you were no, I know we saw it in the theater, okay. but I... I know I saw it in the theater. I just didn't remember that all three. Yeah, Nancy was. I definitely remember seeing you with Nancy. I can remember if you were there. (laughs) But um, this movie takes place. um, It starts off in 1969, where you see a young um, uh, William who is a. You you basically kind of gives you the idea. You know, sums this up really quickly. Where he is kind of a genius, and his mom has. with her with her help has gotten him to skip a couple grades and so to kind of give you an idea like he is like this very young kid uh, kid who has a mom who's a college professor who kind of oppresses her children in a way to kind of control what kind of um uh uh, culture influences, cultural influences, yeah. Yeah. Kind of being like gluten free, <laughs> vegans, you know, all that stuff before it really became into fashion. And celebrating right. Christmas on a day in September when it wouldn't be commercialized. Yes, stuff like <laughs> yeah. that. And, and the father had died. Yeah, the father died of a heart attack. I, see, I, I think all the times I've watched, I think I have like gl- glossed over that. I've always wondered. I guess I haven't been listening to that part too well or something. And then it jumps ahead to 1973 where young William has discovered music and um, what his mom thinks is a hobby because she is um, hell-bent on him becoming a lawyer, um, like Atticus Finch. Mm-hmm. Um, he loves music and as a hobby is writing articles for like a school newspaper and um, sending articles to um, the editor of Cream Magazine. Um and eventually the he gets to meet the editor of Korean Magazine, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, and his name was... Lester Bangs. Lester Bangs, that's right. Who in the opening scene when you meet Lester Bangs is wearing a Guess Who shirt, right? Apparently that was Cameron Crowe's shirt from when he used to write for Rolling Stone when he used to go on tour. That was just one of his shirts. Right. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And he gives young William an assignment to and then to go and interview Black Sabbath and in this time William meets this fictional band called Stillwater which is this kind of all from this point it kind of you know goes off on this trajectory of William having this once in a lifetime experience this movie written and directed by Cameron Crowe is kind of a semi-autobiographical story of what happened to Cameron Crowe. He was 
you know, he became a teenage writer for Rolling Stone magazine and went on this whirlwind kind of following of being able to write about these bands at a really young age that, you know, you know, like the three of us, anyone who likes music, you're like, oh my God, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. You have to follow bands that, as they're up and coming or bands that you really admire. Um, so he ends up, the, the whole majority of the movie is him going on tour with Stillwater to write an article for Rolling Stone magazine. And um, I, the first time I saw this movie, I was like, this is freaking amazing to get to do that. Mm-hmm. To, like, go on tour with a band, number one, is just kind of like a fan. Like, any fan would probably really want to be, like, behind the scenes and, like, see what goes on. Not just watch a concert, but, to, like, see the behind the scenes of a concert, the behind the scenes of a tour, meet the band, see what's going on. And, um, and he's 15. And he's 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and has lived a relatively sheltered life. Oh, very sheltered. I mean, he's cause he's so young, so he's experiencing things that, you know, older people typically would experience. And then he, on top of that, he's got this sheltered life that his mom has surrounded him with, this, with overprotection and whatnot. So, and I think, like, one of the things that's really interesting about William is he could have very easily within the story like just sucked it all in and gotten and just been like hey everyone's doing drugs or getting drunk or having sex or doing all this kind of stuff and he doesn't he kind of sticks to his moral you know his his upbringing as close to it as possible well, his so mom is calling doesn't every. Doesn't just reject everything. He his mom easily... is calling every hotel to remind him, <laughs> "Don't do drugs." Yeah, but he could have very easily, you know, rebelled and been like, "F you, mom," and you know, he has just, a lot of integrity. Just done much. all that, and um, he's and the whole time he's focused on doing this article mm-hmm. because he's such a studious kid that that's that's the influence of his mom. You know, yeah. I have this job I'm going to do, and he's like amazed that he's going to get paid a thousand dollars by Rolling Stone magazine to write yeah. this article, and he kind of and and it's really fun, you know, not just as a music fan, but just as just in this movie in general, like watching this kid go on this journey. Well, and part of his personality too is that he's an incredibly mature 15 year old, but also he has an incredible amount of patience Mm -hmm. because he tries so many times at so many of the different city stops to finally score this interview. He wants to talk to Russell, the guitar player first. And then I think he was going to interview the rest of them. And I guess he caught small interviews with other people. It looks like early on, he interviewed Jason Lee's character. Well, Jason Lee's character, Jeff Beebe is the singer. He's the singer. And he has no problem talking. I mean, he'll he yeah. has he doesn't have any problem talking to to the to the reporter. Except There's, he thinks the reporters are the enemy. Well, they all think that. They all think the yeah. rock critics are going to ruin music yeah. and they're the enemy. And kind of plays into that same not elitism, but this kind of superiority yeah. that uh, within music, I guess. Well, yeah. I mean, they did. He said. I mean, Layla's one thing, but shitting on all the Led Zeppelin albums, you know. 
I get. Well, I mean, you I know, and, and, and it's think the about it's the, it's the magazine that 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 you know criticized. Trash Layla broke up cream, <laughs> and it was set in the early '70s, where you know the country was at war with Vietnam. There yes. was a lot of just mm-hmm. unrest. Yep. So I mean, yep. it's not a big shock that musicians would feel a sense of you know. I, I don't want to trust anything in the system. Sure. Oh, I'm not yeah. going to trust the man. Oh yeah, for uh, sure. So this, so William has all this patience. I mean, I can't even imagine how he was able to muster the patience to deal with these assholes for as long as he did. I mean, he was getting to go to all these shows, and of course, he got to meet the the girls and hang out with them too. But the, he could the, the band aids. Yes. They're not groupies. They're band aids. They are band aids. Um, but the fact that he just and he told them how many at how many stops I need to get home I need to get home but he just kind of followed along and okay fine there's people that are supposed to be quote unquote adults exactly yeah and um, William's a really likable character oh love him he's he's just this incredibly sweet wonderful guy and the girls reinforce it they tell his mom on at least two or three of these phone calls, your son is amazing. He yeah. is such a great really kid. He treats yeah. women so well. You should be so proud of him. We're helping him. Like, we're making sure he's okay. And it's it's just nice to see this, you know, really pure-hearted guy be the center of a story, unlike the last movie we talked about. I know. I know. Well, I mean, one of the girls that calls the mom, also, by the way, play, played by Frances McDermott, who is amazing, uh, is actually, you know, the maid. It's not really one of them. That's what she tells her. Oh, yeah. Right. This yeah, is a maid fine. speaking, by the way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about let's talk about uh, the Band-Aids. So probably the um, like the most important supporting character in this movie to me is um, a Band-Aid named Penny Lane, mm-hmm. played by Kate Hudson. And this is probably... Um, the this is the movie in, that really kind of launched Kate Hudson's oh, yeah. career. She was nominated. She was nobody. She, she was nobody before this movie. She was nominated for best supporting actress for this role. She's great in this movie. There's not um, a lot of the movies that she's done uh, since this movie were kind of like rom commy movies where she's hanging out with um, Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> and um, but she's really good in this movie and her character is from the same hometown as William. They're both from San Diego. And it's kind of... It's not really clear how old she is. Um, Sherry and I were trying to figure this out. and we, We're thinking, like, he's 15. Maybe she's 17 or 18. No, she says she says in that I part, think she's she 16. said the truth just sounds different when she says she's 16. And then he goes, I'm 15. She's 16. Okay. Yeah. She's 16 and 73. So. Okay. Yeah. So... So Russell's like this really gross statutory rapist. Yeah, I know that's a part that when I watched it in two thousand. We'll get in there. (laughs) Yeah, we can talk about that in a minute. But um, she helps William get backstage to meet the band. She helps um, support him throughout the entire. I mean, she ends up also being like the reason why initially he gets to kind of hang out with them is because he knows her and. Billy Crudup's uh, character Russell has a history with her. It's his, you know, him know William knowing Penny is Russell's way of getting to Penny, and um, 
that's how and then it just so happens you know William gets on tour th- this is a great opportunity for him to tour and have the band-aids with him and going town to town with the band and um as this is all happening he's slowly falling in love with Penny Lane and um so you kind of have this you know young love kind of you know first girl that you've ever met kind of kind of backstory going on while he's doing this tour mm-hmm. which is um also kind of fun to watch mm-hmm. and- sherry why did you pick this movie like high fidelity you know just all the music in this movie i'd say even though as much as the music mentioned in high fidelity means to me i think um this the music in this movie means even more just because i love that era so much um I think that it's you know I love Cameron Crowe you know I've loved um his movies for a long time especially starting like with singles and stuff because I love the Seattle scene so much um but I just connected so much like Matt was saying earlier um going on tour with a band getting to see all of that getting to experience it all uh night after night and then the whole also road trip aspect of it on a bus, um, almost the idea of in movie uh, scripts, when you get into an elevator sequence, like, do you guys know what that, that term? Like when, when they we force people together, you know, mm-hmm. for, for, a, you know, sake of the movie script, things like that. Um, I just, I've had a lot of, uh, experience like going on trips young in my life. So for, you know, whether it was on a bus or road trip, whatever kind of road trip it was. So I think that coupled with the music, um, and music being a part of that always meant a lot to me. Uh, I just think there's so much in this movie. There's so much emotion, there's romance, there's, um, so many funny things that happen. There's such great acting. And speaking of the music, I think, uh, you guys might also know this, but Led Zeppelin never used to allow their songs to be played, like commercials or movies or things like that, really. Mm. And this is, I believe, one of the first, if not the first times that they let someone mm. use their work. Oh, wow. They've actually, it, I think the first time was, I want to say it was another Cameron Crowe movie. And I think it's only been, a, I mean... Maybe it's been since this movie, but I think it's only been Cameron Crowe movies. Well, well, the Wilson sisters cover a Led Zeppelin song in singles. Yeah, they do. They, they the, as a love mongers that they do. Um, but I, but I, but as far as like recordings of Led Zeppelin performing their songs, right? Um, they they've all. I now they've, they've let other people do I stuff. I think with they've them, let other people do stuff since then, no. but this was like one of those first mm-hmm. times when mm-hmm. they were like because of the movie and and who knows he I I'm sure Cameron Crowe got to you know work with Led Zeppelin when he was young and maybe he wrote an article about them mm-hmm. and because he had that relationship they're probably like sure you could use one of our songs whereas yeah. other yeah. Mo- other people in movies they were probably I, like f you guys and it's just you can feel Cameron's just love letter to music in this movie and it's just it's you know it has the such just the perfect like setting and it just i don't know it just really captures the love of music for me um so is, is this your favorite Cameron Crowe movie yes it's probably mine 
I think, like, I like singles, but singles feels dated. And it's also, Whereas, it's, yeah, it's a little corny. Like, it, it definitely doesn't, this still holds up pretty well. I mean, it's going to be a little easier because it's a period piece, so you know, there's that aspect of it. But but I think also... Better like, actors. I think also, like, it's a, it's literally a personal story by Cameron Crowe. Right. That I would, I would put this for me, like... I love I like say anything, but I would put this above say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably the only other movie that really stands out of his for for me personally is Singles, but I would and I would put this way above. Say anything singles. would be my second my second movie. Um, the other thing that I, I want to mention is, uh, you know, Nancy Wilson from Heart and Cameron. They were married, and um, a lot of the Stillwater songs, you know, they wrote together. Um, and in fact, they wrote a lot of them on their honeymoon in like the early eighties, which is sad because they're now divorced, oh, wow. but, mm. um, you can really tell, you know, how, just how good of a songwriter Nancy is. And especially like in some of the instrumentals that she does in the, in the, um, in the movie are just amazing. <clears throat> so but, she's great. Yeah. It's one of my favorites. I think, um, the family dynamic in this movie is very fun. Mm-hmm. I think Frances McDermott plays an overprotective mother very well. She's very, very entertaining. And I like how much she and her daughter, played by Zoe Deschanel, fight. I think that's very true to life. I imagine an overbearing mother like that who has two kids, especially since the kids have a pretty decent age difference. Of course, one of them was going to probably be super rebellious against all these things that just did not seem normal whatsoever. she's... Uh, I think she's seven Anita, years Anita, older. Anita's 18 and moves out when he's 11. Yeah. And it starts in 69, so whenever I watch it, I always think of my mom, because my mom is her age. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. I think, you know what's funny? I'm glad that you mentioned Zoe Deschanel, because when I first saw this movie, I, like, I knew who she was, but I, or she, I didn't, she hadn't reached the popularity. Yeah. yeah. And... To me, it, and this is going to sound weird, but her character in this seems so different than anything else she's ever done. Yeah, I agree. Like, like I think she kind of has this um, aura of her now of kind of doing like the quirky kind of character, mm-hmm. whereas this this character is not that way. So I I think it shows a different range yeah. than than what what she got what she's kind of most known for. Sure. But, um, and I like her in this movie. She's, she's great. Her she's so instrumental. Her, her, her character's great. She's the one that at the beginning of the movie introduces him to music by mm-hmm. giving her, him her records. And I love how she like left the note for him, like on the, um, the top, the album Tommy by the who it's like, play this in your room with one candle burning and you'll see your entire future. <laughs> mm, so great. And he does. Like, then they show a picture yeah, of it's great. Him well, and I know you guys, I believe you grew up with having the vinyl bookends at your house, just like I did. So, yeah. that scene is always just so, I mean, it's just so classic when, you know, she tries to, like, you know, shuffle it in without, you know, her mom seeing it. And These guys, like, they're on drugs. They're high. They are on pot. Look at Look their, at their eyes. eyes. I mean, and to, watching that for me is just so funny because it's like my mom and dad own that album or, and, and here she is trying to sneak it in there and it's like, oh. So my experience watching this movie originally is, um, we obviously we were all together and, you know, I walked away from it really enjoying the music and I, I did like it, but Kate Hudson was a bit of a barrier for me because she's never really been like 
my cup of tea. And I think as time went on, it was like, eh, yeah, all right, Kate Hudson, okay, whatever. Um, and I hadn't rewatched this movie for several, several years. And I think I saw it about three years ago. And then I saw it again last fall. And then again, you know, this week. That's not, That's pretty frequent. Well, there were reasons um, for the other rewatches, but um, she actually has grown on me um, a lot. And she, I, I like this movie, I think, more now than I ever did um, because whatever reason I had against her just getting on my nerves, I've gotten over. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, and I, I feel you. Like, I know what you mean. Like, she's not my most favorite, although I've gotten grown to like her a lot more. You know, yeah, I, I mean, know, but... and I think it's funny in real life. Like, she did marry a musician for a while. Right. She was married to the singer in Black Crows. Chris Robinson, yeah. yeah. Um, but once, one, you know, realizing that she just wasn't as annoying to me as I think she originally was, I was really able to just kind of get swept up in how amazing William is. And yeah, everything about him in this movie is so good. I mean, he just, he's the best. They found they found a, a young actor who wasn't really well known at all, and that did an amazing job um, playing this character who was incredibly relatable. Yeah, and and uh, um, Patrick Fugit did a great job. Yeah. Um, can can you you mentioned something that about Kate Hudson and like having actors who. Like, you see in one way, based on their roles, that we, like, don't know personally. Like, we don't know any of these people personally. Mm -hmm. But you see them in certain kinds of roles, and you're just like, oh, my God. I'm just like, I don't know how much I like that actor. And then you see something else, and it, like, change. It can, like, open your eyes Mm -hmm. and change your opinion. Just like I was saying about Zoe Deschanel. Not that I dislike her, but, like, you see them in one one role, Mm -hmm. and then compare it to all their other roles, and it can really kind of change your opinion. Um, I think that's really... Like, that's got to be really hard for an actor to feel like they get pigeonholed personality-wise. Like, people don't like them because of X roles that they play. Maybe. I mean, it's or, or, or you're just typecast. Like, in this movie, this is the second movie we get to see Jason Lee be the really annoyed, <laughs> unappreciated co-worker. Because here he works in this band with and feels like he doesn't get as much love and respect as Russell, just like he did in Chasing Amy. He took that, you know, working on that comic way more serious than, like, Ben Affleck's character did. And, again, he felt that same... But Jason Lee plays this kind of angry guy really well, so it was like, oh, yeah, no shock that this is coming up again for him. And then he became, he got to play Dave in all the Alvin and the Chipmunks yeah. movies. <laughs> I know. And then, or he was in uh, My Name is Earl, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, but but that's my point, though, is, like, you can have someone get, get kind of cast in a certain kind of role based on personality, whatever, right? And, but then they can take a turn and you might like them in something else. Sure. I mean, I think, like, the 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 biggest actor that I struggle with this with is like Nicolas Cage because <laughs> it's just hard for me to see him. Like I, sometimes I just feel like he's always playing the same character just in a different role, yeah, he but, is. <laughs> but I know that he has like a wide range and it turns me off from seeing certain movies sure. just because, and, and I don't, and that's, that's not right. <laughs> I mean, I should. I mean, it's it's hard, but 
I think that's what happens. We have we have to pick and choose what we're going to watch. For you know, we have to have some kind of criteria for what we're deciding <laughs> to watch, and if avoiding certain movies with certain actors that get on our nerves, I don't think anyone's going to get mad at us. I just I just wanted to make that clear. Yeah, it's fine. When you were talking about Patrick Fugit, I wanted to mention something really quick. When Cameron Crowe found him and he was looking for someone, uh, he loved his acting. You know, he he thought he would be great for the role of fresh and you know young. But the one of the problems was because he was whatever age he was, very young. He didn't know any classic rock at all, and he had one CD and he had a Chumbawamba CD, and so he had to he had to like. Just I laugh out of my him. musical elitism. <laughs> you should. Laugh. He gets um, knocked down. He gets God. up again. So he had to just immerse him like crazy. He's like, I want you to breathe like this music. So. That's kind of fun, too, is that all he had was a chump of a scene. There could be worse ways to have to prepare for a role. Right? Yeah. Shit, that's all I had to do. Oh, man. So, favorite scenes? Um, I, I, my favorite scene is after Russell has, and after they've had the argument about the t-shirt and how, and, um, how Russell's the only in-focus guy, um, Russell, you know, kind of quits the band and leaves after they've played their set and goes to a house party of one of the t- teenagers in the town that they're in Was on the tour. the Topeka, Kansas party? Mm-hmm. Yes, Topeka. <laughs> Topeka. <laughs> and um, has, like, this total fan interact- interaction at this party. I love the scenes, this scene for two reasons. Besides it being... A well-written, well-performed, hilarious, and, you know, important scene. This is, like, again, the musical fantasy. Like, you're at a party, and all of a sudden, one of your musical heroes just ends up being a guest. And just how cool... Yeah. uh, How cool is that for all those kids at that party that... This guy shows up yeah. randomly, not knowing that he's going to be there. And then he's totally cool with everybody and is just so happy to be there, just like you're happy for him to be there. And I just love that scene. And he gets so wasted. He is a golden god. Yeah. I'm on drugs. <laughs> Let's work on those last words. I dig music. I'm on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Sherry? I mean, I have so many favorite scenes in this movie. Um, I'm going to pick, I'm going to explain two. One, visually what, and musically, one of my favorite scene uh, is when they're walking to the plane and, you know, Hendrix is playing and then he, like, they turn around. It's just like the visual on that, like the cinematography of that scene. I just oh, love. Yeah. I well, love that they're shot. They're walking towards the so plane good. and away from their bus. Yes. Mm-hmm. The bus. Doris. Delor- oh, is it Doris, Doris or Doris. Doris? Doris is the heart and soul of this band. <laughs> yeah. um, but, I mean, I, I mean, my favorite scene is in the plane. I mean, it's just Oh, when they classic. almost crash. Oh, God. And then, yeah. and specifically when he starts singing Pick It. The first time I heard it, it was so funny. Rock and uh, roll. But that scene is, you know, is, is so, it's just amazing. But there's so many good scenes, though. I mean, but. You know. it's, it's hard to pick. There, it is. This, is. this is easily, like, could have been on my 10 list. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it's on, I stop. The, mm-hmm. I stop channel surfing. Um, it's, 
it's hard to pick a good scene. How about you? I think my favorite scene is when um, William saves Penny. Mm-hmm. When um, my Sherry Amore is playing, and then yeah. you know the doctors come in and pump her stomach, and then the scene immediately after that when they're walking together in Central Park and. She's really kind of sharing, spilling all of her secrets, yeah. stuff that Russell never even knows. And I, th- I thought that was, that was clearly like the most intimate they were going to ever get. And I thought that was really sweet. That brings me up to something very serious that we can talk about. And um, it's not really comfortable, but let's talk about this. First of all, there's something incredibly awkward and wrong about these band-aids who are most all of which are pretty much teenagers hooking up with these older guys yeah which unfortunately is a lot of it is true yes and and this is true of way too many bands and way too many artists that we all love and it's like makes it it, and it becomes very hard to like you hear stories of this happening and it makes you be like, why are these people my heroes? Are like, do I just like douchebags? What the hell's going on? And it makes it all so awkward. Um, maybe the, I mean, even if they're willing, like there's a willingness to it as yeah. well. But I mean, it, you don't think that in this era, this like late '60s, early '70s, the kind of like free love, kind of sexual revolution stuff that was going on. It wasn't as frowned upon, perhaps. Oh, no, it wasn't it, at all. Than it no, no. was maybe, yeah. like, in the 80s and 90s. Or now. I mean... Ne- uh, well, ne- certainly now. Yeah, I mean... Or a lot more they would all have to be registered as sex offenders. Right. <laughs> they would all not just be registered as sex offenders, but all of those girls would probably at some point be like, um, this guy abused me and try and get money out of it or yeah. something like that. I mean, that's kind of and and I see what you're I know what you're talking about it's I mean like, just kind of like the times were different so yeah, it seems like not excusing it, was okay. it just acknowledging it but it, it is still kind of like I've thought about this I know Sherry's thought about this where we think about like other great artists that we have all grown up with mm-hmm. and then he, like you hear stories or you read things that, or people come out and, and say like this ha- happened and um it is hard because you really like the art that this person has has made that makes you feel so good, and then that gets tainted. Yeah. There's like, a, I mean, there's movies I can't watch with actors in them that yeah. you know I find out bad things about. There's musicians that you know made music in the '70s, and now I do not agree with their politics, so I don't want to listen to their music. Yeah, you know, there's, and that's just how this is. You know, I mean, that's just life, but. Uh, I think it's important. I, I just wanted to bring that yeah. up because there's another scene that the scene that you're talking about where he has this very intimate moment with Penny where she has basically taken a whole, whole bunch of quaaludes is totally out of her mind or anything like that. He basically he kisses her. And I mean, he he 
really takes advantage of her. <laughs> oh, he's he he takes less advantage of her than anyone else in the movie. Though, I know. So I, I, I agree. Have still, I, I, I agree. Still that, but it's, it's still, it's still like, that, this like, idea, like, like this day and okay. age. Yeah, it's totally seen mm-hmm. in through different eyes yeah. than if we were, you know, watching when this I was in the eighties. Yeah, or, or when I was watching it the first time. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's like in uh, in sixteen candles, how. Um, oh yeah, Anthony Michael Hall's character takes the 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 girlfriend home, mm-hmm. and she's totally on drugs and drunk and whatnot. And it's like, what did you do? What are you gonna do with yeah. her? He can do. Her boyfriend's like, you can do whatever you want with her. I mean, this is yeah. there. There's definitely this negative aspect of well, it. Another he, he just barely kissed her lips. I know. I so know. But, it's, but I'm it's not gonna, something that I, I noticed more now than I used to. He was dancing with her. I dancing. I he mean, was keeping her <laughs> upright so she didn't <laughs> I die. I know. I know. It, it's similar he to... He, he didn't, he didn't gamble her away for um, 50 bucks and a case of Heineken. Heineken. What kind of beer was it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a little similar in the way I watch movies now as a parent. Um, when I used yes. to watch things and I was like see it through the eyes of like the younger character and now I like watching like Frances McDormand even though she is like crazy strict with her kids although of course more strict with Anita than William but um, so it always is older sister mm-hmm. always uh, raised stricter than when, the younger brother when she's calling him on the phone and she's like I miss you and I love you and he's like what what and I just uh, I'm like oh god I don't know it's hard letting your 15 year old girl up to her what <laughs> it's purple <laughs> I said I love you <laughs> That's a that th- you know what's great about that scene is you're really seeing like this he's literally being torn at mm-hmm. that point between yeah. like the love he ha and he has for his his mom yeah and everything she's given him and his and this life that he is like being pulled towards with you know this rock and roll lifestyle I really wonder I'm really curious how close. Francis McDormand's McDormand's character is to to a Cameron Crowe's real mom. Maybe. I did I did read that Cameron Crowe's sister and mom like I think it was because of this movie like reconnected like they had not been talking for a very long time. Wow. Wow. So it's probably pretty true. I don't know how strict she was with music stuff, but who knows. Uh, yeah. Mhm. And just it's it's hard to watch him when that one scene when he gets like very um, upset and he's crying and William yeah which scene yeah. is that towards the end when he just can't get the interview and he's just getting so oh, frustrated yeah. like the scene after he I think it's the scene after he loses his virginity to the band aids we don't know which band aid he ends up sleeping with all three of them probably I, I I'm assuming it's Sapphire because one of the girls that was dancing around him and when he was in his underwear ended up in uh. The, to, the manager's yeah. room. Dick's so room. I think it was probably Sapphire. Um, but uh, yeah, after that scene, she asks him to take the laundry and he gets yeah. all mad. So he's carrying the laundry. He's all mad. He goes to try and talk to Russell and he, mm. and yells, at he yells at him through the door. So he flips off the door oh. and he <laughs> stumbles into a chair and he just breaks down and loses it. And like kind of from that point on throughout the movie, you kind of you really feel for this kid like he just wants to get his he just wants to get his homework done and he and none of the kids over it, it, it it's yeah. like he feels he, alone well think yeah. of it it's like 
He just wants to get his homework done, but all of his friends are partying and won't let him do it. <laughs> yeah. No one's taking him seriously. So, Sherry, is there, um, is there anything else you'd like to add to this lively conversation about this amazing movie? <laughs> I, I just I want to touch on Philip Seymour Hoffman's character a little bit. Because, first of all, I love Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm-hmm. R.I.P. also as well. But um, he just has some of the best lines in the movie even mm-hmm. i mean just about music stuff like you know when when um he's like true music chooses you you know it lives in your car and vast scenic you know the vast scenic bridges and angelic choirs in your brain in your headphones uh, in your yeah. headphones yeah, yeah just stuff like that is just is, is so great um when he tells him that don't worry you know you're gonna meet them again on their journey to the middle <laughs> you know i love that um, do you have his line about like the the commiserating or the friends or what was that line? Oh, it's it's something like... Um, the, currency. Something about currency. It, the currency mm-hmm. you, you, you... Oh, yes. The I currency you I, pay I is, is the, convers- uh, the, the conversation you, having, you have when you're uncool or something like that. Yeah. 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 And he's like, I know it sounds great, but these people are not your friends when he tries to tell them. Um, I also... It's such a great scene when he's when he first meets him and he's like, oh, you know, it's too bad because, you know, you got rock and they killed rock and roll like it's dead. Like you got here just in time for the death rattle. And right now I'm going, there ain't shit like going on in 2019. Like there back then it was still a lot to. Yeah. I know what he's talking, what kind of rock he's talking about, you know, yeah. but it just. Yeah. The, the so. And the other part, like when he first when he first meets him in person. They're like walking uh, down the street after and, and just kind of talking, and he's just like, "Well, I don't have time, you know. I don't have time for, <laughs> for, for to just talk about talk, sit here and talk music with with all my fans." And then the very next thing you see is him. It, you know, they just went to a restaurant yeah. or a diner, and they're still, still talking. talking. <laughs> yes, they are. Because he doesn't. He doesn't really. He he's he found ju- a kindred spirit. Yeah, he's. It's almost like he feels like I am just as uncool as you, mm-hmm. and probably I'm uncool. Of course, again, I'm home. Right. That's that's. I think that's like one of my just all time lines in that movie is, you know, of course I'm always home. I'm uncool. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, yeah, he's 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 great, and uh, it's too bad that he's not around. He's he's done a lot of amazing movies, and uh, sometimes he's in just like he has like little bit parts, and sometimes he's the star, and it's great. I think the first time I really recognized him and and saw him in something that really stood out for me was Boogie Nights. Mm-hmm. He was he's great in that movie. Uh, did you know that? Uh, apparently, you know the part where Russell says, "Just make me, us look cool to yeah. William." Uh, Glenn Frey from the Eagles said that to Cameron Crowe. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. The Eagles. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah. Those 70s rock Him and Don band. Henley fighting with each other. I don't know. Who knows what's going on there? Or Glenn Frey. He's not around anymore. Yeah. They're touring, and I think his son is playing. Like, his son is playing, like, his parts. Wow. Well, um, Nancy loves it, and you're as a listener, you know this, but Nancy loves it when I blindside her with... with things so um in watching this movie beside you know we had our top five for high fidelity i we don't have to pick five just pick one off top first thing that comes to your head and time and space have are are no God. are no limit on this you're a writer for rolling stone magazine what band do you want to tour with it's hard I mean, you've got 
so many years of music to deal with, and it's something that probably the Beatles, the Beatles, yeah. And you want to, now? I thought like about, like like later Beatles, so like they after tour, the, that's like the problem. When, well, assuming they're touring, let's just okay. put that. Yeah, okay. so af, sometime between like the White Album and Abbey Road. So just be behind the scenes. Yeah. Just hang out with them. Hanging out at Apple Studio. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we Chilling with Yoko. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. How about you, Sherry? It's Nirvana. Oh. Nirvana? Nirvana. It is. I mean, there's so many bands I could pick, but I, I really think I just... I just want to be Kurt's BFF. I mean, although it would probably just be awful. <laughs> I don't know. It would just be so interesting, I think, I feel. Maybe, maybe like... So, do you ever, like... like Again, we both we're all music fans here, so as much as movie fans, so I mean, can you admit, like sometimes I have like daydream fantasies of being like, if I had a time machine, what would I do? And sure. one of those things is go to the ho- go to the house and and try and stop him in the garage. I know, because I mean, it's, it's I definitely it's hard, but I mean, I always I always think about what music would be like if he was still around. Mm-hmm. So. So who? I, go ahead. I was gonna say, but there's so, there's so many bands like in like in like what I mean it's hard too like I came up with this question and I'm putting you guys on the spot and even myself I'm like man this is really don't hard. overthink it don't overthink it like do you want something fun and I gotta pick a want... band that I haven't gotten to see live I mean I could say like Depeche Mode would be probably be really fun or something like that but I just I don't know maybe they wouldn't what be about like, at all, like but... the Beastie Boys that'd be hella fun that would be crazy fun I think that. I was going to pick, uh, like, 1980s Sonic Youth. There you mm-hmm. go. And the reason for that is because they were not really well-known. You're almost, like, in the still and, like, we're in the van stage. It's right. It's super experimental, we're, you know, and it was either that or, like, or like Black Flag or... The Ramones would be really fun, too. Or the, the very short, like tour that the Sex Pistols did in the United States, you know, and just watching the riots that <laughs> happen because right. they're of who they are. But, um, but yeah, I just think like being able to be behind the scenes on like a tour like that and being kind of to the same level where you were like kind of friends, but the enemy kind of thing would, would be really interesting. So sorry to put you on the spot. But <laughs> I thought maybe maybe I would say, um, like 1984, 85 Madonna's tours. Oh, that well, would be amazing. With, with, like a Virgin album. Yeah. And like cool. doing all the dance moves behind yeah. the stage. Dress like, you up. Because you'd, you'd see all the choreography a million times, so yeah. you'd know it all. And I've never seen her perform live. So. That's it. You, you have to, you have, you know, it's one thing to watch movies that you have never seen that, that you should have, but you've been a Madonna fan since I've, remember yeah so <laughs> i mean led zeppelin would be epic but then you the things we were talking about earlier you would just you wouldn't be able to listen like to a, them there's, anymore there's like a danger element i think with so- certain bands well, like, well, like, what like, do you really want to like, see like i was sitting there like oh man no would be amazing motley crew no <laughs> wait a minute no <laughs> i mean another one that could be really fun would be something like like liz fair like in her sure. you know when she did exile to guyville like that album yeah. touring with her or something because she was so young and that would be cool do you know okay so can i can i like uh drop a, a cool concert story for you sure so um i went with my friend mike to go see liz fair at the warfield 
and Liz Fair is incredibly shy and has stage fright, which is hard to believe of a musical of a musician, but that's very I guess that's fairly common. You I know, like to do that. Sia freaking has a wig that covers her eyes because she's so stage fright. Wow, that's I didn't know that. So anyway, um, so the tour that she was doing was after the Whip Smart album mm-hmm. came out, and um, it was a special show where she played solo. She did not have a backing band, so it was her and her guitar only. And when she perform, when she came out on stage. There was furniture on the stage as part of the set, and right before she played like her last couple songs, she tells the audience, hey, "We had this idea for everybody for to like have some of you guys on the stage, and um, while I perform, but I just kind of freaked out and I didn't want to do that." So she starts one of her songs, and then this girl who's standing right next to us climbs on the stage, sits in one of the chairs. And just lights a cigarette, and then I looked at Mike, and we looked at each other, and we we climbed up on stage and sat right in front of her on stage, and then like tons of people did, and then she like kind of laughed and she was okay, and then she played one more song, and that was the end of the show. Wow, it was awesome. Wow, that is the power of music, and that is, you know, that was the closest I got to having my going on tour yeah. <laughs> moment, you know? Wow, and I just pulled that out. I so, didn't, didn't even know that story. So, anyway. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think this was a lot of fun. This was great. I mean... We're so happy you came on our show, Sherry. Thank you. I'm incendiary, too, man. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I, I, thank you very much for um, for picking these movies, because these are, two, these are movies that both of us really like, and... Um, One more than others. Well, one more than the other, and I've seen them with you guys, you know. And, and well, I saw it the first time. No, I'm saying it's the first time. Well, and um, music has been a really big part of um, both Nancy, of our and Nancy, and our lives. I mean, we've had you know as much as we've watched movies, we've had music in the background to, mm-hmm. to for those movies and to go with our lives. So, thank you very much for being a guest on our show. Thank sure, you. It, was, it was a blast. And um, thank you everyone for listening. We can probably um, at some point. Um, bring up some of the topics that we had, hopefully to John Cusack himself um, regarding high fidelity. Maybe Nancy can um, ask him some questions and maybe uh, make her feel a little bit better about that movie. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, again, we want to thank everybody for listening and um, stay tuned for new episodes coming soon. Thank you so much. 